0: Do you know, on the way to church this morning, I, we passed a road that I'd never sort of noticed the, um, uh, the, the street name on, and it was Heartland Road. And I really felt the Lord just say to us, and what a wonderful kind of morning it's been in our worship and communion and the prayers that have been prayed. Um, I just really sensed the Lord saying, this is, you know, very much a day for the heart, where God wants to gather us into a place together, his place, where our hearts are again touched by him and by his spirit. And so Heartland um, is uh, what struck me as I I came. Listen, let's get straight into this. Um, We're looking at Acts chapter 2 this morning. So if you have a Bible, would like to follow along, that's where we're reading from. Um, and um, our subject, our series is we're thinking about our church and uh, the sort of church that God wants us to be. It's His church. So, what sort of church does He want? And we're thinking about being a spirit empowered, spirit filled church today. So, reading from uh, verse 1. Um, And began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance well the promised day has finally arrived do you remember the way that Jesus after he had risen from the dead was only about six weeks before this actual day uh, he had been meeting with his disciples and teaching them. And one of the instructions he had clearly given them in those, in those things, back in the previous chapter and verse 4, do not leave Jerusalem until there is the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Then you will have the wherewithal to do everything uh, that you're called to do. And so that day has now arrived, some six weeks later after the resurrection. And it's, it's wonderful, isn't it? Just sort of picture the scene. The wind is whistling through the house. The wind and, and breath, as we've already been seeing this morning, actually, symbolizes in Scripture uh, the Spirit of God coming and giving life. Think of Ezekiel's great vision of a valley of dry bones. And uh, then the breath of God comes. He, his wind comes and it all stands up, those dead bones as a living army and also fire is the other thing we see here fire from heaven coming and and resting seeming to rest on each of the people who were who were gathered there again in scripture it symbolizes it denotes fire god's holy presence think think of moses at the burning bush and uh, god is saying to him you know wanting to engage with him but if you come any further You've got to understand this is holy ground. Fire is burning away everything that would stop us getting close to God is what that picture of, of Moses shows us. And, um, and so he said, you know, kick off your shoes. Come barefoot into my presence, uh, God says to Moses. And uh, we, we know that the power of fire as well, don't we? Just one spark, you know, jumping somewhere else, can start another fire, and then another one, another one, another one, and the whole thing grows until the whole city or the whole, you know, area, the whole environment is ablaze with fire. Well, one person um, that I was reading during the week put it like this about the Holy Spirit, without the coming of the Holy Spirit, the Christian life and the church would be impossible. As a body without breath is a corpse... So the church without the Spirit is dead. I, I, I was struck as I was looking at this passage again this, this week that um, it reminded me of uh, the beginning of Jesus' ministry. This is the beginning of the ministry of the church, really, of all of us. Um, but the beginning of Jesus' ministry, recorded back in Luke chapter 4, Jesus reads and he's, you know, um, that passage, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. And he's anointed me to do what he's called me to do. And, um, and here we have at Pentecost, um, you know, what the spirit is wanting to do for the church. So what Luke 4 was for Jesus at the start of his ministry, Acts 2 is the same for us as we seek to follow and be a part of what God is, is doing. Well, you know, these things that happened on the day of Pentecost certainly got people's attention. Uh, it captured them. And we read um, that they're a bit bewildered by this, they're amazed, they're asking. And they ask the question in verse 12, what does this mean? These things that we're seeing, the moving of God's spirit, what does it mean, verse 12? And Peter stood up, along with the 11, notice, wasn't just standing there by himself. All the, the 11 were standing with him. That's interesting, I think. And, um, and he said, well, let me tell you. Let me tell you what this means. Some of you are thinking that, uh, that, you know, we're all a bit sort of tipsy and drunk. We're sort of doing unusual things. You're seeing and hearing unusual things. No, no, that's not the case. It's only nine o'clock in the morning. Get serious. We're not, we're not drunk. Um, but admittedly, you know, as we read these verses, we do see that there were some unusual things happening. And that's what grabbed their attention. So they're right to be asking, what does this all mean? But when we think about unusual things, you know, even the history of our church, well, I shouldn't say even the history of our church, but our history, our story. I mean, we have seen some pretty strange things over the years as God has done things within this church. And frankly, at the time, it puzzled some people, it upset other people at times. Um, And for those of us who were leading, I mean, we couldn't have controlled it even if we'd wanted to. God was just doing in his church what he wanted to do, pouring out his spirit. But, you know, sometimes God's reviving when his spirit comes is just the reverse of that. It's not something loud and spectacular always. But something very simple and quiet as people tell their stories of how their hearts are broken by their awareness of sin as they kind of get with the, connected with the cross of Jesus and how when that happens then the Holy Spirit pours himself into that space where that has taken place in a person's Heart and, and, and life. Well, um, Peter in his explanation goes pretty much immediately to scripture, to the Old Testament scriptures. He goes to Joel's prophecy and he says, You're asking the question, uh, what does this mean? Well, this is what is happening. And this is what he began to read from Joel, verse 17. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy. That's the day that's arrived. You know, like Jesus said in, in, in Luke 4, today the scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. This is, this is now happening. The, the day has absolutely arrived. The disciples have stepped into, on this day, what God was doing. Not initiating anything themselves, but available, prepared, willing, and ready to join what the Father was doing. But do you notice, and I think this is crucial, Peter quickly moves in his preaching from Joel to Jesus. Why is that important? It's important because to really understand God's spirit, and indeed Pentecost as, as a whole, we have to move from Old Testament prediction to New Testament fulfillment. And that is what we see as he turns and he begins to preach jesus and they're wonderful this is a wonderful thing i wish we had longer but let me read a few verses of what he says this is where he moves from joel to jesus verse 22 men of israel listen to this jesus of nazareth that's the one that i want to tell you about jesus of nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs. This is the gospel, okay? Which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. This man was handed over to you by God's set purpose and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to a cross." But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep a hold on him. And you know it will be impossible for death to keep a hold on us when the time comes, even as Queen Elizabeth knows in reality now. These are wonderful, wonderful words speaking about Jesus, his life, his death and his resurrection, and it all, that's the wonder. That's, that's the, the, the key to this whole passage. And then he quickly moves on uh, in his preaching, and uh, he, he comments on King David, which would have been very re- um, relevant at this kind of Jewish festival that's taking place in Jerusalem. And he points out that David, hundreds of years before this day, had had some amazing insights about the resurrection. Uh, For example, and he quotes him in verse 27, uh, where David said, you know, God will not allow his holy one to see decay. And Peter makes it very clear that David wasn't talking about himself. And he said, if any of you are in any doubt about that, you can actually go and visit uh, David's tomb. He certainly decayed. His body decayed. He died and he decayed. But no, David was looking ahead to Jesus, to the Messiah, who though he died, his body didn't decay. He was raised up on the third day by God Almighty, looking ahead to this astounding thing which God has done, God the Father has done in the Lord Jesus. And then the punchline, what a punchline it is to his sermon in verse 36 this is how he finishes it. therefore let all israel be assured of this god has made this jesus you know this jesus jesus of nazareth not any other jesus not any other person just one person my son the lord jesus christ he has made this jesus whom you crucified both lord and christ and what you know there's, a, there's an immediate response from the crowd spirit of God is there see there's an immediate response from the crowd and they just say oh goodness you know what what should we do this is their second question you know what is this was their first question the port coming of the spirit and and now what shall we do when we've heard this message maybe an even a more important question to answer for, for all of us what shall we do and this is what Peter replies this is what we shall do Verse 38, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the, holy, the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now I'd love to just pray, Father, I just pray that at this point you would come and help us in our hearts, you're concerned about our hearts, Lord, in our hearts, to personalize this response that Peter tells us about. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, here are the three things that I see. I think they're all really connected with the heart that's going on on, on this, this day, which is a part of the response that people made because there are a whole host of people, 3,000 in fact, which gave their lives to uh, following the Lord Jesus on, on this day. The first, the first thing I see is that there is a new sensitivity to sin. Do, do, do you see that? The Holy Spirit, as I say, is powerfully at work in the crowd. We read in verse 37 that they are cut to the heart on hearing about Jesus, about hearing about his life, his cross, his resurrection They're cut to the heart. There's a, something deep is going on. Something is stirring in their hearts. There's a, there's a sensitivity. There's an awareness. There's a conviction that is taking place, which maybe probably surprised them. Where's this come from? But it's, it's happening on the inside of them. Now, let's be, be honest. I mean, this is not always the case, is it? it's possible when God is moving to remain strangely unmoved by actually what is happening and to end up being knowing ourselves anyway that we're probably the neediest person in the room and um, you know outwardly we're able to maybe go along with the, the crowd and sort of everything looks as though we're doing the right things on the outside but in our heart it can be a different matter, unmoved, a sort of a, hard, a hardness, just or an indifference, in, in our hearts. I mean, we, we, we are we are blessed to have a, an, an apple tree in our garden, and uh, but you know, apples, or well, certainly our apples, they, they what they look on the outside is not necessarily what they're like on the inside, and uh, they can look fine, plump, and you know, going rosy and all the rest of it. But get a knife and cut into it and you see that something else has got in there and it's, it, it, there's rottenness at the core, absolute at the, at the core. Those bugs have got in and they're, they're working away, eating at the fruit, you know, the centre of the fruit. It's exactly what sin does in our lives. When we allow sin to remain in our hearts, it just eats away at us. It eats away, it begins to put a rottenness at the very core of us that estranges us, distances us both from a loving God as well as the people around us that we want to love. And um, that, that's the way that it is. But you know, this thing about how does a new sensitivity to sin, how does that work? How does the Spirit do that in our lives? Well, I think it comes about... When we start calling things by their proper name, when something is sinned, we call it sin. You know, in our hearts, before God, um, it it may be, you know, all kinds of things, which in our culture we might find different ways of explaining away or or whatever. I mean, things like self-pity, refusing to love another person, pride. Um, just a kind of a dullness in our heart, a blindness in our heart. I mean, last, last week, if you were here, there was a word about spiritual cataracts. We just, we just can't see or we can't see properly spiritual things that we really need to see because of God's love for us and what he wants us to be a, a, a part of. And so that's, I think that's the starting point of this, of cooperating with the spirit of God when he comes is to is to start being really honest and calling things by their proper name and in fact it seems to me that the more specific our confession the more we accurately name what it is that is the sin the more definitely will God pour out his holy spirit into that place into that heart because that's the only requirement the only requirement, he loves, the Spirit of God loves to fill those places where there has been repentance. And so that's where Peter starts, isn't it? This is repentance. Repent, he says, um, sometimes described in, in scripture as a gift. Repentance is such a wonderful thing. We think, mm, a bit heavy. No, no, it, it's, it's part of the good news because it, when it happens, then we have this place where the Spirit of God is just wanting to pour himself out into our lives. So sometimes spoken about as a gift, but always it's about a real, honest conversation between ourselves and our Heavenly Father. Where we just call things, name things as, as they are and, and tell him that we're sorry, how sorry we are about that. And that, this new sensitivity to sin seems to, for me, move on to the second point that I see, that, that, that there's, there's something going on here where people are being confronted by the cross of Jesus. And I use the word confronted because it's almost impossible to overlook in the way that Peter speaks about Jesus. I mean, he tells his listeners they were involved, they were. We were involved in the unjust, brutal death of the Lord Jesus on Calvary. Look at verse 23, for example. Uh, you put Jesus to death with the help of wicked men. And yet, in the very same breath, in verse 23, he tells them, and us, as we listen to this passage, he tells us, It was part, the fact that Jesus went to that cross is part of God's loving purpose for us. It was was his way of preparing the way so that we could be rescued and that we could be united with with him. So I think that this thing of, of seeing my sin, my sins part of the crucifixion of Jesus really is deeply confronting. I mean, it needs to be confronting. It's not that this is a bad thing. We really need to see that. And um, deeply confronting. But, you know, it is a journey. Seeing that for ourselves personally is a journey that every follower of Jesus needs to go on. It needs to happen somehow or other at some point. Uh, in a a very deep way, and maybe over and over and over again. Because he took the fall for us. That's, That's the reality. Jesus took the fall for us long before we had any consciousness, maybe even alive, long before we had any consciousness of how desperately in need we were, how we needed him, his forgiveness, and his new life. And Jesus, in his love and the love of the Father, gave it. Uh, to us through that sacrifice. I, I, I remember um, some years ago on, on a trip to Australia, and uh, there's one night that I just could not sleep. And so I got up, went into another room, and just was gazing out the window. One of, the, one of those nights where the southern sky was just ablaze with, with stars. I mean, it was extraordinary. And I just began, as I was just gazing at it, to hear this, this sense in my spirit of look at the cross, look at the cross, look at the cross. And I, I knew instantly what that means, you know, when you're in the southern hemisphere, you know it's the southern cross in the sky that you look to, look up to. And uh, I was looking out the window and I quickly point, uh, found where it the, 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 has two pointer stars which point to it. And I quickly found them, but I couldn't see the star and that I realised that the only way I could see it was as I got down on the ground, as I got on my knees and then actually on the floor so that I could look up further beyond the top of the window, I could see the cross. And, you know, that's, that's the way it is with the cross of Jesus as well. And seeing our part in it, And seeing the love that is there, the only way we will really begin to see that is if we lower ourselves, get as low as we possibly can, on our knees at the foot of the cross, we will begin to really see what God in Jesus has done for us. The love which is there. Before we even knew we needed help, he did that for us. And it comes through that posture and that place of, of going there and of thanking him uh, for, for that. And, um, you know, this is, um, it, 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 it's a wonderful thing. And um, because we're going to a place where, you know, his blood was shed. We've already remembered that in communion. His blood was flowing down. If we're at the foot of the cross, it's coming down and touching us. And uh, it's the place where his blood flows. And um, that blood doesn't cleanse excuses, but it always cleanses acknowledged sin. Always. And that rottenness and stain at the core of our being can be washed and forgiven and removed and that kind of links in then with receiving the holy spirit you see the way that peter just goes on to to saying that it's such a promise isn't it we go through that place of having this increased sensitivity at the foot of the cross to our own sin but seeing the love of god and his blood shed for us to do what we couldn't do for ourselves then he says we do those things then you will receive the Holy Spirit, uh, is what he says. You will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And what is that like? Well, the, the, the words that both Joel actually and Peter use in this passage is that it's like something being poured out upon us. Those are the words that are used. Do you see that? Joel, verse 17, poured out. Peter, in verse 33, the Spirit will be poured out upon you. It's like a heavy storm. I mean, it's, it's really quite graphic. It's a deluge. It's an absolute soaking. It's not a drizzle. It's a downpour. That's, that's the way the Spirit of God coming upon a life or upon a church or upon a community is, is to be expressed. And uh, it speaks of God's overflowing generosity. We talk a lot wonderfully in this church about generosity and God's generosity. Maybe, maybe not as much about the generosity of God in terms of our filling with the Spirit. He wants to pour himself out in an extravagant kind of way, you know, so that it's not a drizzle, but it's a deluge upon our, our lives. And, uh, you know, we've just come through a very dry summer. Dry, dry, dry. It didn't rain. But now the autumn rains of begun to come and you know the garden water butts are now full and I mean we're racing around trying to find devices and buckets even to eat just to catch the overflow I mean they're full um, but you know we want more we want to catch the overflow and I think that's a bit of a, a a picture of what is going on with God's spirit for us that's his desire for us an overflowing blessing. The promised spirit now flowing through ordinary people comes out so clearly, doesn't it? Not just a few special people, but everyone, absolutely everyone filled with the spirit of God, causing rivulets of blessing then to flow through them to other people. So rivulets of the spirit of God flowing through individuals then as, as those individuals you know, get together with friends, then those rivulets form a little stream and a little stream you know, you know, gets into a larger stream until we have a, an increasing consciousness of part of the great river of God flowing through the whole earth. We're a part of that. We're a part of that amazing thing. That's, that's the core of God upon this church upon all of his church, actually, but certainly upon us. It's even in the name, Riverside. (laughs) You know, this great, great river, everyone caught up in the current of God's overflowing uh, river of of, of spirit, carrying life and healing wherever the people who have got that upon them go in the world during the course of any day of, of their life. I wonder, I wonder if we hear the sound of distant rain. You know, that abundant coming again of the Spirit of God um, outpouring, being poured out upon us, filling lives, reviving churches, transforming communities that's that's our longing isn't it and this passage reminds us you know how that happens is not through programs or whatever but but through the Spirit of God through our hearts being in that place where we will cry out to God for his uh, life and, and, and spirit and finally just final point here um, Where would we want to see, as God comes upon us, let's believe that, God comes upon us with fresh, reviving, outpourings of his spirit in the coming days, where would we want to see the first rivulets from our life flow to? Well, look at verse 39. Look at what it says. This promise is for you and your children and for all who are afar off. Of course, we would want the Spirit of God to flow to those that we love most first, to our family, to our sons, our daughters, our grandchildren, our nieces, our nephews. That's where we want them to, what, want him to flow, isn't it? Through us having the Spirit of God upon us and going and blessing and helping and being with them and share, sharing with them. And then, then, don't you love that last bit? And as well as those who are far off. I bet you know some people who are far off. I certainly do. God's heart is for them too. That this great outpouring of God's spirit just gives us, revives us again and again and again so that we can go and be a part of his great love for the world.